Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So, you've probably heard people say something like, how can a loving God send people to hell? Have you heard that? I've heard it multiple times. Or, or maybe put a different way, how can, I, how can a loving God punish people? How can a loving God judge people? Well, based on what we're going to study today in the book of Joel, I think that the right question to ask is, how can a justly offended God forgive so many people? How can an, an offended God, some, a God that was sinned against, spare so many people from his wrath? Right, because the first question presupposes that, that everyone is good and that then God is just a mean God that is sending uh, people to hell and punishing them. But the questions that I suggested presuppose that everyone is actually on their way to being punished, on their way to hell, and God in his mercy is rescuing people. In this passage, we're going to talk about the day of the Lord, right? Remember, the book of Joel is mostly about the day of the Lord, and remember that the day of the Lord is a day of judgment for God's enemies, and it is a day of deliverance for God's people. And remember, the day, the day of the Lord is a day of salvation through judgment. God is saving his people through his judgment. But again, the question is, why? Why would God punish people? Well, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the time when God created uh, the world. When God created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden. He, he gave them lots of good gifts. And the, the best possible gift is that he was there with them. They were in his presence. But remember that he told them, you can eat of all these trees except for this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And so Adam and, Adam and Eve ate of the tree. And even though they didn't drop dead right there on the spot, they died spiritually and they became separated from God. They became hostile to God. They became enemies of God. And from that moment on, every single human being that is born is born an enemy of God. The Bible describes our minds before Jesus as being hostile to God. We were enemies of God. And so God is in, in his right of destroying us. God has the right of destroying those who are rebellious against him, those who are hostile against him. And that when you, when you look at the, the book of Romans, in the first three, four, 
five, you could argue the, the first 12 chapters of Romans. One of the main points there is that everyone deserves God's judgment. Everyone is under God's wrath. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. Everyone is deserving of the wrath of God. And so the amazing and beautiful thing about the gospel, and this is why we gather every Sunday to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that God, in His mercy, sent His Son Jesus. And Jesus, as He was on the cross, He endured the punishment that we all deserved. Jesus on the cross was enduring the wrath of God. Isn't that crazy? Like, we deserve that punishment. God was in His right to simply wipe out humanity. But in His mercy, He placed that punishment and judgment and wrath upon His Son, Jesus. And so like we saw in Joel last week, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So now everyone who repents, everyone who comes to Jesus, everyone who believes in Him, everyone who, uh, who, who hails Jesus as King will be saved. But what do you think is going to happen to someone that after God punished Jesus on their behalf, continues to reject Him. What do, you have, what do you think is going to happen to someone that continues to reject the sacrifice that Jesus made for them? Think about it. God was in all His right to punish people before He sent Jesus. Don't you think that he has an even greater reason to punish people who reject him after he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us? And so this is, this is not a really, this is not necessarily a really fun topic, right? To think about the punishment and the wrath of God and the judgment that people will endure. But at the same time, we, we need to learn to think biblically. We need to learn to think in the way that God wants us to think. And so this chapter, this section of the book of Joel, speaks about the final judgment, the, the last day of the Lord in which people will be in the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's how it's described here in Joel. And God almost in a, in a mockingly kind of way calls them to gather their armies to get ready for battle. But really, they're just going to be judged. And they're going to suffer the punishment for their rebellion against God. So let's read. Let's read this chapter uh, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time for the reading of God's Word. Joel chapter 3, verse 1. 
For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions, the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold, and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near. In the valley of decision, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So we see in this passage that one of the main reasons people, these nations, are being judged for is for how they treated the people of God. These nations, for example, the 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 Philistines, Tyre and Sidon and all of Philistia, they are being judged for how they treated Israel, the people of God, the chosen people of God. And so this, this passage is, uh, to be honest with you, this is a complicated passage. It has several things here that I'm still like trying to figure out timing-wise. Um, 
But there are a few principles that we can learn from this passage, even if we don't fully understand uh, necessarily all the timing and all of that. And one of the principles that we see is that God's judgment is timely and is accurate. And so let me, let me explain where I'm going with this. Uh, when, when it talks about the valley of Jehoshaphat, well, there is no valley of Jehoshaphat. Like there's no place in Israel called valley of Jehoshaphat. And so what many people have wondered is, well, what, what is it talking about here when it refers to the valley of Jehoshaphat? Well, there, there, are, at least, uh, there are at least two options. I'm sure there are more alternatives, but these are two things that I thought were, uh, were very interesting and related. One of them is in 1 Kings 22, uh, when we hear the story of Jehoshaphat and King Ahab, they are gathered with 400 prophets of Baal, and the prophet Micaiah, who is the only faithful prophet to God, they are judging him. They are judging Micaiah. And so Micaiah actually describes to them a vision in which really the ones being judged are them. God is judging them. And so he tells them, uh, as a way of showing you that God is judging you, King Ahab is going to be killed in battle. And so even though they said that they didn't really believe it, when King Ahab goes to battle, he actually disguises himself. He dresses up as as someone else, not as a king, because he's, he was still, he, even though he didn't like Micaiah, he believed, in a sense, the words that came from him. And so even though he disguised himself, even though he thought that he had tricked God, well, a stray arrow that someone shot actually fell on him and went right through his armor and killed him. So we see that, at least from this idea of the valley of Jehoshaphat, we can learn that God's judgment never misses. That you cannot escape God's judgment if you are against him, if you are his enemy. No one can trick God. No one can trick his judgment. There is another story in Second Chronicles 20 where Jehoshaphat is now king and even though he's not the greatest king out there, there is this episode in which he actually calls out on, on the Lord. So um, the Moabites and the Ammonites gather themselves and usually, they, in order to get to Jerusalem, they would have to, they, they were at the east of Jerusalem. So here's Jerusalem, here's uh, the, the Dead Sea. And so the Moabites, in order to get to Jerusalem, they would have to go down. They would have to go south and then west and then get to Jerusalem. But during the dry season, the Red Sea, sorry, not the Red Sea, the, the Dead Sea, actually there is a little pass there that when it dries enough, people can actually walk, uh, walk through it. And so this attack came by surprise. Uh, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they were within a day of Jerusalem when, when Jehoshaphat learned of this, uh, of this invasion. And so basically with nothing, nothing left, no protection, no, no way of defending themselves, they just plead with God and say, God, please fight for us. And, and Jehoshaphat asks and say, 
God, will you not judge your enemies? And so God miraculously, in his, in his God-fashioned way, he actually sets the Moabites and the Ammonites against each other. They attack each other. They end up destroying themselves. And the people of Israel are delivered. And so this is another instance in which we could say, okay, so maybe that's what he's referring when he talks about the valley of Jehoshaphat. This is, this is a valley in which God's enemies will be judged. This is a valley in which God's enemies will be destroyed, but it's also a valley in which God's people are miraculously delivered from their enemies. Now, another principle that we see from this passage is that God gives people according to their works. The punishment that God gives people is, uh, uh, matches the sins of the people. So, for example, going back to the text, uh, he's, he talks, to, he talks to, the, to the nations. He talks to Tyre and Sidon, and he talks about how they attacked the land, and they, they scattered his people, and they sold their boys and their girls, and, and they did all of these terrible things to the people of God. And so the way that God punishes them is by scattering, scattering them throughout the, the, you know, to different nations. And, and he turns them over to the Jews so that they can sell the, their people as slaves as well. And so we see here that God's punishment is fair. God's punishment is adequate for the kind of evil that people do. And this is Aside from knowing the gospel, aside from knowing the grace of God and how he gave his son Jesus, this is a really fearful thing to know that God will repay everyone according to their deeds. This is something that we should always keep in mind. And this is something that should make us even more thankful for the gospel even more thankful for those words that say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Imagine if God gave us what we deserved. Imagine if God repaid us according to our works. We would be fried. There's no one that can perform that that. There's no one that can do good enough works to gain God's favor, to gain God's forgiveness. There's no one that can say, look, God, look what I've done. Please forgive me based on my merits. No. If it's dependent on our works, we're all fried. We all deserve to die. We all deserve to be here in the valley of Jehoshaphat in the Valley of Decision. So another thing that we notice, and, and, and I already touched on this, but I, I want to emphasize this part, is that God is judging people based on how they treat the people of God. God is punishing these people because of how they treated his people, God's people. 
And so this is, this is a great thing to know, especially in light of persecution. When we think of our fellow believers in other countries, in, in Iran, in, in uh, Nigeria, in multiple countries in which believers are being killed for the sake of the gospel, in which believers are truly being persecuted for the sake of Jesus' name. And even when we think of our own situation, Right? We might not be experiencing like hardcore persecution. Like at this point, they're not putting us in jail. They're not beheading us. They're not threatening us with uh, death necessarily. But if we continue to be faithful to the gospel, and if our culture continues to shift further and further from God, then we can expect persecution. We can expect affliction. But notice what God tells the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 through the Apostle Paul. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering. Since indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. God considers it right to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So the fact that God is judging those who continue to oppose him and continue to oppress his people is actually really good news. We should definitely want people to be saved. We should definitely want people to be spared from God's wrath. And that is God's heart, right? God says that he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants all people to be saved. But when someone continues to reject over and over and over Jesus and his sacrifice, when someone continues to oppress the people of God, then the right thing is for that person to endure the wrath of God, to endure the judgment of God. So in verse 9, we see how God is calling the nations to this valley and so I, I imagine this, and, and that's one of the reasons I read Psalm 2, because I imagine this like God being like, okay, gather your best people, gather your best warriors, gather your armies, and see how you guys do against me. And so clearly there is no hope for them. Verse 9, proclaim this among the nations, consecrate for war, stir up the mighty, one, the mighty man, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves here. And then this is Joel's plea to the Lord. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. And then this is God. Let the nations stir themselves up. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. We know from scriptures that in the end, God's angels are going to come and, and harvest this world. And they're going to gather the wheat along with the chaff. And then they will be separated, right? We, we read that the, the sheep will be separated from the goats. The wheat will be separated from the chaff. The chaff will be burnt, and the wheat, which, is, which are the believers, will be in the presence of God. So we see here that there is this, this is this moment of judgment. This is this moment in which God is separating the people, and He is bringing them to judgment. Verse 13 reminds us of Revelation 14. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. God's wrath is not, it's definitely something that we do not want to experience. In Revelation 14, 16 and forward, it describes God's wrath as this wine press where people are gathered like, like grapes and basically put in the wine press of God's wrath and they are tread upon. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near. In the valley of decision, the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The wrath of the Lord is something we do not want to endure. And even though this passage might be describing something that will happen in the future, even though this passage is talking about something that will happen in the end, let us also see that this passage is describing nations that are current to the time of the people of Israel. Let us see how these people are actually enduring the judgment for opposing God's people. So this is, again, this is something fearful if we, if we oppose God, but it is good news for us in that God will not let evil go on forever. God will not let the oppression of his people go on forever. He will judge them either in this lifetime Right When nations fall, when, the, when Philistia falls, when Babylon falls, when Rome falls, when Jerusalem falls, when other nations and kingdom have fallen. So let us not adopt this mindset of, oh, you know, that's going to happen in the end, so I don't have to worry about, the, about it right now. No, God's judgment and God's wrath can be displayed at any time. I mean... What we have been seeing in the book of Joel is that the, the invasion of locusts was a display of God's wrath upon, or God's judgment and punishment upon his own people to bring him back to himself. But here is the really good news for us. 
verse 16. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. God is like this roaring lion. When, when people hear his voice, his roaring, no one can stand. The heavens and the earth quake. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. But the good news is that the Lord, the same Lord who is roaring from Zion, is the same Lord who is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. God is our refuge. When we endure persecution, when we endure opposition to the gospel, when we suffer, when we are anxious about the things that are happening in this world, when we are anxious about the direction that things are going, we don't have to worry because God is our refuge. We don't have to, to take up arms and fight because the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God is the one who fights our battles. We can trust in the Lord. We can, we can take refuge in Him because He has promised to save His people. Remember last week, it, it, will, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. We are the ones whom the Lord has called. We are the ones who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus. We are the ones who can take refuge in the Lord. So what are some implications for us? Well, what 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 does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So because we know 
that the day of the Lord will not take us by surprise? Because we know that the day of the Lord is actually good news for us. Then we need to be awake. We need to be sober-minded. We need to encourage one another. We need to build one another up. Notice what Paul tells the Thessalonians in his second letter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. This is, an, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels." in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So because we know that God will avenge us, because we know that God will rescue us from our affliction, because we know that God wins in the end. Because we know that Jesus is God's appointed king and he will win. Then Paul prays that he may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by his power. So as we wait for the Lord's return, let us do good works. Let us do good. Let us do every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. So as we wait for the Lord Jesus, let us not retreat in fear. Let us not retreat and say, oh, the, the world is taking over. Rather, let us go on with confidence knowing that Jesus wins in the end. Let us go on with confidence knowing that all things are ours through Jesus Christ. Let us go on with confidence doing good works, doing works of faith, encouraging one another, being sober-minded, enduring until the end, preaching the gospel with boldness, especially in light of the coming judgment. If we truly believe that those who are enemies of God will be punished in the end, and especially when we realize that that was us apart from Christ, we should be preaching the gospel. We should be doing our very best to bring people into God's kingdom. Because apart from God's grace, apart from the work of Jesus on the cross. That's us right there in the Valley of Decision, in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Each one of us deserves to be in that valley, 
being judged. But because of God's mercy, when we called on the name of Jesus, we were forgiven of our sins. We were given the Holy Spirit. Our names were written in the book of life. We are not destined for wrath. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we live lives that are pleasing to God. And we proclaim the gospel with boldness. And when we suffer persecution, when people oppose us, we trust in the promise that God will repay. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a loving God, you are a merciful God, and you are a just God. We thank you that in your love and your mercy, you provided a way of escape for everyone, Lord. You provided your son, Jesus, as the propitiation, as the atonement for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that in your mercy, we called upon your name and you gave us salvation, Lord. You gave us of your Holy Spirit. We belong to you. And Lord, we want to be faithful till the very end. We thank you, God, that you are sparing us from your wrath. Thank you that we are not destined for your wrath. We pray that you give us boldness to proclaim your gospel, that you give us um, boldness to encourage one another, to live a life that is pleasing to you, to live triumphantly, knowing that our God wins, that our Lord Jesus reigns. We pray for all the lost souls here in Grace Harbor. We pray that in your mercy, you bring more people to yourself. We pray that in your mercy, you use us as your vessels to bring the message of salvation to everyone here on the harbor. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And as we celebrate and remember his death, for us. Give us a heart of worship, a heart of unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.